0: Hello, and welcome to my podcast. This is Jay Sibylla Smith. I host unscripted conversations with contemporary photographers, curators, and critics to discuss concept development and the photo bookmaking process. I utilize my trademark framework, Concept Aware, to investigate how each artist sees and how their creative practice is layered. By identifying these layers, we learn the choices and the decisions that move the artist from their abstract idea into the making of a tangible object. Thank you for joining our exploration. You can find an archive of over 70 episodes on my website, jsybillasmith.com. There you will also find specifics on how to work together and examples of my experiences as an independent curator, educator, and consultant. Please connect on other social media platforms where you will find me under J. Sabilla. I use all these methods to engage in a global visual culture conversation. Today, I host Astrid Reichwitz in my studio for an in-depth conversation on her monograph, Spin Club Stories. We uncover the many ways Astrid allowed photography to lead her on a path to both explore her past and empower her ability to impact the future. We talk textiles and the way women's handiwork has always been art. I'm so glad you're here. Let's begin. So welcome. Um, Astrid, I had the privilege or have had the privilege of watching this body of work evolve, expand, and now being highly celebrated. So it's very exciting. And I'm excited to have a time because our paths cross in, in different ways, but we often don't get to sit in the same room for any length of time. So this is This is a treat. Um, I remember it was 2019 when I encountered your work in the group exhibition, Crossing Cultures, Family, Memories, and Displacement. It was curated by Claudia Ruiz Gustafsson, and it was photo-based work, but also there was a lot of texture. There was mixed media. Um, The work was by Claudia Milu Mushala and Vivian Poey. So the four of you are honestly from four different continents, which I love, or in countries within four different continents. So you covered Europe, Asia, South America, and North America, including the Caribbean with Mexico and Cuba. So what we're doing today, and I'm excited to hear are more specifics about how your work evolved conceptually um, and what the process was like to build it into a book. Because honestly, you've gone from an idea and many ideas and a lot of experimentation and refinement and then to another layer of a book. So those are two separate things that I love to pick apart. But because I'm a concept-aware queen and I'm always looking to see the context and how you wove and how other artists weave their ideas into actually what they produce. So that I wanna just lay out some of the things that this work and being with your book and your work uh, has made me think about and areas I'd love to touch upon. But I'm gonna start because I appreciate the words you wrote and actually you gave me the frame for our discussion. So thank you. (laughs) Um, Your words are, every decision we make is influenced by our history, our environment, and the society we live in. So your premise is exactly what I am just expanding in this conversation. I'm intrigued by the multiple intersections that this work has. So in addition to memory and identity on both a personal and cultural level, I'm interested in how the needle arts have evolved, that this work and the use of the media medium of embroidery is actually a true window window into a lot of other subjects, like, and they're mentioned in your essays, etc., what is considered art, the whole idea of art versus craft, uh, the role of women's work. It actually speaks to the way we categorize art, what's considered art, and The art world and the art ecosystem, when you look at it, especially from these eyes, the art world as it is foundationally was built on works that were made with a patriarchal gaze within a system that supported male artists over women artists. And our ecosystem exists in institutional structures. That honor the work of mostly Western men. So it's really interesting to go from this, some of your work dates to 1799 to now. And that's what I mean by expanding it. Um, So for you and I, and you're welcome to react and talk, it's (laughs) back and forth, it's a whole conversation. But as women and artists, and both you and I are mothers of daughters, uh, we are the example that we exist within and of a context of constantly shifting boundaries and those define our relationships and our identities and in the history of needlework it is both performed gender because it was seen as a woman's work and it also constructed gender it kept women in a certain place so I understand that your book honors history and you've specifically woven, which I love, your daughter into this history. And you've taken these bits of embroidered cloth and they're actually what remains and they testify and document what's in other ways an unrecorded life of the makers. And those are your ancestors and they're my ancestors. They're all our ancestors. So it's really important. So. Before we dive in, and I'm happy to hear you speak, like it's just a give and take. Um, I'm not sure you're aware of my textile background. Do you know anything of that? No, absolutely not. Textiles.
1: I'd like to thank you for
0: having me. Oh, yeah, yeah. more than I'm Excited,
1: on. yeah, to talk to you, yeah. about the book, <laughs> and the background. Great. And I didn't know that you had a textile
0: background. Most people don't, but it's back there. And I actually have, um, a very personal connection to this. I have a degree from the Fashion Institute of Technology in fashion design. And I studied here and in Europe. And I actually taught the history of fashion as a special study seminar, seminar at Emmanuel College because I'm so I'm really intrigued about how the textile arts and uh, all other arts, but especially for me, um, I studied what they would call costume or clothing, and it really is a mirror as well of our sociopolitical lives. It's a real history that, if you unpack it, um, is so rich, and that's how I dove into this with all those eyes that I have. But the story I wanted to tell you is my thesis project was a couture piece, so that meant I made it by hand. It had four layers because of the structures that need to happen to make it. And 200 hours of my own hand sewing went into it in succession. So I literally had calluses on my forefingers and, um, I took 12 yards of silk chiffon and made a cocktail (laughs) dress. (laughs) <laughs> and then the really weird story of how it circles back to my curatorial what's my world in photography, when I ran the DSI gallery in the South End, my big fall fashion, the very first big exhibition, was called Splashin. And it was a mashup of water and fashion in photography. And I wore the dress. <laughs> So it still exists, but it's boned. And that baby is really, it can stand up on its own. It's really funny. That's fantastic. So interestingly, when I started with my photography,
1: I had no idea that at one point I would incorporate any fabric work or any embroidery. For me, it was something that I discovered, or let's say rediscovered. Mm. And I never did any embroidery before I started my photo photo project. So I was not really interested in this kind of work. I remember as a teenager, it was fashionable to do some knitting. So that's what I did. But embroidery was considered very Mm old-fashioned. And um, yeah, I did not touch it. And I remember a long time ago, I would say probably... 20 years ago, my mother gave me a stack of embroidered tablecloths, and they were beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I remember our house was always decorated with these beautiful tablecloths. But I said to her, I will never, ever use them. What should I I do with it? So I tucked them back in a chest, and it only surfaced through photography. Mm-hmm. and the more i looked at the fabric the more i understood that it was something really important mm-hmm. for the women of a certain period of time and especially in the village i'm from so i'm from an area in northern germany between heaven, hanover and berlin so a very very small village and in that village um yeah, old customs lived on for a long, long time, whereas every everywhere else uh, around in that area, um, the modern world already was there. But this was <laughs> some, some, something yeah. in a little bubble. It was yeah, it was a little a little bubble. Mm. Yeah, I have to I have to say, and I also discovered that. So my work was also about rediscovering culture and what does culture mean for myself personally, but also the influence of culture for, for everybody. I mean, we always come from somewhere and we are influenced from a certain culture and from the society we grow up in. And what does it mean to us? And how do we move forward in life with that baggage, right? Yeah, yeah it is a baggage. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, it can be <laughs> sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah? And embroidery, it's, it's interesting because I started out with a project – about my family Mm -hmm. and i used old family photos Mm -hmm. and i combined these photos with an image that i took as a response how i feel about my heritage today Mm -hmm. and along the way the fabric surfaced and Mm -hmm. i started using little bits of the fabric images of the fabric not the fabric itself Mm -hmm. to glue these pieces together visually so for me it became something like the glue between the present mm-hmm. and the past and it worked for me visually it, it gave the eyes something to to hold on mm-hmm. and to and to connect these realms mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. so that was my first approach with embroidery mm-hmm. and then i thought more and more oh my gosh this embroidery it was very important to these village women because that's what they kept they took care of it Mm -hmm. and they passed it on to the next generation Mm -hmm. and it was perhaps the artwork that was accepted by the society in their society Mm -hmm. and it was an outlet to them
0: yeah yeah right yeah
1: and um yeah so at one point i thought I really would like to concentrate more on this fabric and Mm -hmm. to show more of the beauty and what it meant to the women. Mm -hmm. And yeah, also to take a look at the role of the women in that society, in this farming village. Mm -hmm.
0: um, Yeah, That's so interesting and also underscores what I try to teach in Concept Aware, which is letting the work lead you. And being in conversation with your work. One of my first questions was going to say, be to say, is it the, like, what came first? And you just answered it. It's like, <laughs> I didn't know what led to what. And the idea that your, your photo needs leaned you into the objects. And then the objects started to talk to you about a completely other layer of the story and how you then you worked with that yeah, and exactly. that's exactly what makes work yeah. sing right yeah. because it becomes yours and it's your voice and your exploration becoming manifest right
1: and i had this thought in my head i really would like to embroider pieces of the original fabric that i see mm-hmm. and apply it onto my own photographs mm-hmm. And I, I think I had the thought in my head for two years, <laughs> and I was so afraid to start. <laughs> That's okay. Things take so, time. I said, how do I start? And, and you can really very quickly over, overthink it, right? Yes. I said, yes. okay, I have to do it in a very simple way, as simple as possible. Just concentrate on the fabric concentrate on the design of the fabric. What did these women do? Right? And what can I take from their design and imply this onto my my pho- photography mm-hmm. and I simplified their elements I simplified their design and I applied it to my photography and it now represents fractions of memory so I work a lot of as a concept of, of memory
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. by your simplifying you are actually animating uh, the need to simplify it to communicate it you weren't going to replicate it. You're kind of honoring it, as well as dreading yourself. I'm honoring to it, it,
1: yes, uh, in, in a way. But I'm also um, thinking about memory loss. So, I mean, when I think about memory, I mean, my memory is such a flexible construct. And as soon as we think something, our memory has changed. So, I, I work a lot with this concept of of memory and and, and memory loss. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, that's why I also pay attention very much to the backsides of the embroidery yeah. yep. my embroidery so the backside of the photographs mm-hmm. and also the backside of the original fabric mm-hmm. I became really fascinated um yeah to to see that so it, it, it looks like a different world and it's much more abstract and it's mm-hmm.
0: um, a beautiful piece by itself yeah. yeah it was so funny because I take notes all the time. I think with an implement in my hand, if I'm not typing it, I'm writing it. And so I'm going through the book with the idea of talking to you about it. And I literally wrote about the backs. Like like I was I was so I know that Karen mentioned it. And when I'm flipping through the book before I got to the fact that you do include the backs, I was like, wonder if you thought of including the backs and it's like, (laughs) of course you did. And then you did it in such an interesting interesting way and i love that you because what you did is you incorporated a back and then you incorporated one page that is literally the front and the back and then you brought in a back and i just i I very much was attuned to that yeah narrative that you brought your it creates a pass
1: it 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 really creates a pass through the book Mm -hmm. but where it comes from it's it, it it I imagine that through my embroidery, I follow the paths of my ancestors. Mm-hmm. So I kind of recreate what the, they did. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I follow that. I follow in their footsteps, mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, And I also don't shy away from their mistakes. So whenever they make a mistake in their embroidery, mm-hmm. or the fabric is kind of worn and torn, I still use it. I recreate their mistakes in a way. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. And I also make my own mistakes. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there are a lot of mistakes in, yeah. in the embroidery, right? Mm-hmm. But that's life. So I'm recreating life and the past
0: through life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is wonderful and real. <laughs> and you know, it's so funny. So I wore two things in your honor. Because I was going to ask, did you know your great-grandmother? No, I knew my
1: great, my my grandmother, and and she was um, really a great influence to me. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of images that go back to her in in the book. Yeah, my great grandmother, I only know her from one
0: photograph that I've I've seen. Okay, because somehow when I was reading, I'm like, wait, did she get to meet her? Because that's so unusual, but yeah. yeah. So I wore my grandmother's necklace, which I still have. That's interesting and wear. And it was the same. Huh? You, you have one?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? I'm serious. And this necklace... We're
0: both wearing our was, grandmother's yes. necklaces. That is so weird.
1: <laughs> so this was given to my grandmother when she was probably in her 20s by her great-grandmother.
0: It's beautiful. It also and looks it's very coin. modern. It's a coin
1: from that area. It's and it has a horse on top
0: yeah so
1: it's a kind of uh yeah reference to to farming in a way and yeah. i remember that there was a, or only by by storytelling there was a horse on the farm that i've never met so I'm i'm wearing it around my neck now
0: <laughs> that is so wonderful okay so i have to tell you this grandmother came from ireland had a farm, but they had other businesses as well. But on the farm, they had horses um, and some animals, but they had an apple orchard and other things. There were, my grandmother had seven children and my mother was the youngest. And I grew up within walking distance of the farm. There were no animals by the time I was there. But I remember heartily this grandmother A big sewer. I have her sewing machine that literally has the, you know, foot thing. And um, just a comical, that's such a really interesting coincidence. And I have so many cousins, as you can imagine. I have like 24 cousins. (laughs) And when my grandmother passed, I, I was the youngest of my mother, who was the youngest. So I knew my grandmother the least. She died when I was probably six seven, maybe. Um, and, but she was a big influence on all of our lives and even mine in that short period of time. But when my mother who wanted to share all of the things that my grandmother left behind with all of the family, I somehow ended up with this necklace. So I'm so happy. It's such a beautiful customer. Yeah. Yeah. It's really nice. And then just to, to make you feel good about mistakes. (laughs) You also influenced my choice of sweater because I love this vintage sweater. But look, it's missing its top button <laughs> because they're big fat. They're really cool. I think they're um, uh, Bakelite. And anyway, I have it. It's just that do we ever mend our, well, we do, but rarely, and we don't get around to it. So I thought, you know what? I'm still wearing it. So there you go. I brought my own mistake. I would never have guessed it. I know. And that's what I I thought. Nobody is going to notice this except me. But I I
1: like that you have also some flower ornaments. And um, I I also use some flower ornaments in in my work. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I remember all these flowers from childhood. And Mm. I think that... The, the village women use a lot of flowers. They had their, um, their 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 backyard, their farmer's garden in in the backyard. Um, they they embroidered flowers. Um, flowers were everywhere in the house. On on the good china yeah and mm-hmm. for, for decoration and i think they wanted to beautify the hard life of labor so that is my interpretation yeah so fl- flowers were everywhere
0: yeah yeah and you also make me think of that they they incorporated a what they saw right but there was something is it a double eagle what's that yes that, that motif yes um the double eagle goes
1: back to a sampler that i own from my family and that's the embroidery that you mentioned that it's from 1799 so that's the oldest embroidery i i have um, at home and these samplers were made by women to learn the craft they had to learn Mm -hmm. the pattern um, the the craft of the embroidery and and samplers are, are very interesting because it is raw and you have an array of several things on um on a small real estate if you want to say so yeah so it was very interesting to see and i always looked at this fabric and i saw this design this element that looked like a like a little mannequin as if a child would draw a man Mm. right Mm -hmm. and after a while i did some research i talked to some embroidery experts Mm. in, in germany and they told me, oh no, it's, it's not a mannequin, it is a double-headed eagle, and this eagle even has two crowns, so it's a double-headed eagle with two crowns, and it is a very powerful symbol of dominion oh. and of power, mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. so I used it in my photography, yeah. but in my embroidery, the eagle is already... On the ground and it's deconstructed so mm-hmm. the, the the power is
0: gone wow right? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is so interesting i
1: thought a little bit about political power Yes, yeah i mean these women in the village um, generations they had to live through wars i mean there was always a war mm-hmm. along the way i think every generation had its war mm-hmm. and i thought okay i i really need to the construct power.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, which is great. That so draws into many of the things that your work made me, me think of. Um, when I was reading, um, Karen's essay and thinking, uh, I loved how she talked about the sound of the thread. That was so good for me. Um, it brought me right back to FIT. Um, she talked about the squeaky sound of the thread when you're mending. And, um, at FIT, we used to, uh, That was like my spinning circle would be me and the students at school, and we would talk, but we would be there for hours and hours, and sometimes it would be silent. And all you could hear is our hands in the silk pin boxes going for the pins, and that's a very special sound to me. So it it was really lovely when I opened this, and that's exactly how Karen Sets the stage. Yeah, which is super interesting, cool. Yeah. I I did not experience that sound when I embroidered my my
1: photography. Maybe I didn't listen carefully enough. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but yeah. what I uh, what was fascinating. You probably uh, a general needle. It's <laughs> the needle. I, uh, yeah, I have to use a very thin needle yeah. in order to to make it work. But um I mean, all of my elements are pre designed, mm-hmm. so I don't mm-hmm. stitch blind, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. and therefore i have to pre-punch every yeah. every point the needle goes through the photographic
0: paper and that makes a really interesting noise and that's <laughs> why you have it it is the needle that's making the noise so yes that's why you yeah. didn't have the so noise punching the paper that really yeah. makes an interesting noise to yeah me. yeah it's so funny <laughs> how we were really on um <laughs> a lot of synergy i was like so how did you select your elements? And then you just told me that exact <laughs> thing. Um, that's so interesting. And I haven't done a lot of that um, embroidery, though I know that is available where you where they've already punched it and you're cross stitching or doing other stitching over it. Um, so what I was thinking of is the idea of suturing, because we're looking at it in uh, metaphorically i thought of suturing when you're starting to collage and bring other pieces together and attached them it made me think of suture so it made me think metaphorically of the mending and of the blending like what you said with bringing your ancestors connecting you to them but also the healing power that actual the physical work does right yes absolutely i mean in
1: in in terms well let's uh, let's let's go back to the puncture puncturing of the photo paper so i i thought about it i've always said i'm inflicting a wound Mm. into the paper Mm -hmm. right and so what what does it mean so maybe it's something like in medical terms like an inoculation Mm -hmm. and it helps healing and it helps healing even more that i mend it with my thread so it is like the beginning of a healing process Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it also helps to move move forward in life when you look perhaps look back at a prickly past Mm -hmm. not every story is a beautiful one Mm -hmm. for this work i always try to be in the shoes of the village women i try to imagine what these women would talk when when they met in their circle in their circle of the spin club Mm -hmm. and we have to talk about the spin club later but i i try to imagine what did they talk about i mean they are um, what's going on in the village right a birth a wedding a funeral their personal mistakes i'm not sure if they ever talked about Politics mm-hmm. about the role of of the women in in the village, perhaps perhaps about their secrets, so theres a lot to cover mm-hmm. right? so mm-hmm. a lot of imagination that might lead to a, to um, a photograph or to a composite photograph mm-hmm. and yes the the embroidery is a healing process mm-hmm. and the healing process also in the sense that I am an immigrant, and mm-hmm. I think it's also very important as an immigrant. To know where your roots are, in order to grow new roots, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In, in in this new mm-hmm. country for me, mm-hmm. so that's that's also very very important, and mm-hmm. um, also to work with memories because memories are mm-hmm. not the key to the past, but they are the key to the future. Say that again. The memories are not not the key to the past,
0: but the key to the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm say more about that, that you, because I I was, I got, I got thinking about when you talked about knowing your roots as an immigrant, planting them. And I, I had this visual of, of literal transplanting, right. And the idea of you wanting to have a moment where you can shake off some things potentially, but also wanting other things to be in the new soil so to speak so it's such i got stuck there and so i mean not stuck but i got you flashed that thought in my mind and so how do you see memories as the key to the future so memories are are really
1: so flexible to work with Mm -hmm. and i so when I go back to memories from the past or to stories that i've I've heard when I grew up in northern Germany, um I think whenever I recall these stories i I change my memory. I alter my mm-hmm, memory. Mm-hmm. so i can I can literally influence the way i'm thinking and the way the memory exists in this moment Mm -hmm. and therefore i can also pave the past into the future maybe i can walk more easily into the future Mm -hmm. because i worked with the past and Mm -hmm. i i kind of changed my memory sometimes i feel I changed my identity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Because it's you did. Yeah, because yeah. I work so much with these memories that they are definitely not the same anymore. So I don't know what is real and what is imagined. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> which is wonderful. Well, I mean, which is also all about um creativity. It's that idea that your your the the newness is this evolution that just keeps moving, and that. um I think we get ourselves into trouble when we resist that, (laughs) you know, there's things to take and there's things to let go, but that's a very empowering position that you saw yourself in, which I think is really, and I think it takes courage, takes courage to go with that because you don't have control over how it pans out, right? And that's, that's a brave thing to do. But you can try. Hmm?
1: but we can try to work with it and to work Uh, through it
0: yeah 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 Yeah. but i like how you're talking about it and i do agree with you with the flexibility of memory and what you said before as soon as you recall something it already changes and part of that is because you have changed like we don't realize how much like we're just a constant evolution too we don't we don't really stay in touch with that on (laughs) a regular basis and it's also so interesting because we let's say we go with
1: friends to a certain event and we, st- we stand right next to each other and we come home
0: and we compare our memories. Everybody has a different story to tell, right? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I say it, it's actually a slide in my Concept Aware Beginner's Guide and it's by Joel Meyerowitz. Every person that does not see the same thing at the same time. And right. we don't and we just assume. Yeah and yeah and
1: that's absolutely yeah we we can apply it to photography and i did that in in one image where i used the same photograph three times but the embroidery is very different Mm -hmm. than i implied on on the image Mm -hmm. so that's about okay we all see different things but the story in theory Mm. is the same but, but but what exactly is the true and real story
0: mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. that's really yeah, great so it's so yeah. that's actually you did you is that a piece in the book or not one of the three, one of the three.
1: is in the book yeah yeah the other ones didn't yeah. make it but, but sometimes i exhibit
0: them together yeah. yeah well what i love about that is that is a concept development layer like you are taking the concept Of your ability to change a memory and then you're concretizing it you're actually doing it Mm -hmm. you're saying here's the same thing but here's three different versions of it and 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 which is so important because there's never one version we like to think so and that's probably why we're in the challenging spot that we are because (laughs) it's absolutely impossible um uh that's so good um and I'm just writing a note while I think about that. So, um, I'm, I'm caught between, um, there's two things I want to say at the same time or two directions we could go in because I'm thinking still about how you took I feel like there was a a evolutionary process and that you actually have two stories or two bodies of work in the book. So how one got to the other, like, I love when you just described how you took that three images, embroidered it differently to reflect the three stories. I feel like this is so deep with a lot of other secrets like that, right? So, (laughs) or, or, I mean, secrets only because you can tell only so much, but it's in a book, you're you're giving us hints and what led the two, one body of work to the other, and the idea that you started to do different things, like, you know.
1: Right. I mean, the, the first body of work that's stories from the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. And that is mainly a reflection of my own family story. So it is about memory, identity, and home. Mm-hmm. And when I first started that series, I thought, what does home mean for me or for, for other people? Mm-hmm. So it can be many things. Right? Yeah. It's different for everybody. It can mean the flavors of dishes. When I go home and I experience and I always want to have my, my favorite meal that I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, then when I go back to this old farmhouse I grew up in, I see old knickknacks and kitchen tools and the, embroidered tablecloths and many things that have been there well before i was born Mm -hmm. because my family never threw anything out right everything had value right Mm -hmm. and people kept things Um, so that was very interesting but i always thought storytelling is so important. And I remember sitting around the kitchen table with family and and friends and we talked about the day and we talked about stories. And that was really the the essence of home for me. So Mm -hmm. that was the the, the base thought behind that story. Mm -hmm. And it led to several images and all the images are based or the first thought of one concrete image Always goes back to a family photo. Mm-hmm. And then I think I mentioned that before, I take a picture as a response mm-hmm. that I combine with that. Mm-hmm. So I combine something from the present with something from the past. Mm-hmm. So it's a conversation with mm-hmm. the past, more mm-hmm. or less. And that's also to learn more about my, myself in a way, right? Yeah. yeah. And to learn more about the family stories and perhaps about the secrets of the family. So yeah. I guess. There are many secrets in, in many families. <laughs> yeah. And I also remember that um, I mean, I grew up on, on the on the farm of my grandparents with my parents, and that's um from my mother's side of the family. Mm-hmm. And I noticed we only have images from her side. There was no no information about my my father's mm-hmm. and nobody when i grew up talked about it so it was just a given so you you grow up here with with mm-hmm. your with your mother and your father and your grandparents but what about my dad. my my, my yeah. dad's family right mm-hmm. there was a sister of of him coming she she lived in in england uh, she she came over summers to, to visit so that was a little bit of an information resource for me mm-hmm. and I I found one image from my father's family that shows his parents um, on on their wedding day. Mm -hmm. So it was the only image I had. So along the way, I learned his parents um, both had to go to concentration camps during World War II in 1943 due to political reasons, and they both passed away there. Mm -hmm. But that was something we never talked about. Mm And I think I'm kind of feeling also that void through yeah. the images I have. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, yeah, that's. I I have a couple of images that are based on only <laughs> this photo, yes. but I have to explore that side of uh, myself further. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. because I'm 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 really sure that it influences a, a family. It definitely influenced my father. It influenced me, and I I really
0: feel that side inside of myself. Mm, yeah. That's so. Um hard and rich uh and then it also circles back to your ability to change the future or your taking the memory to make a different path um one of the um experiences i had when i was studying uh in europe was to go to dachau so i don't think many people uh, go out of their way to experience that and i always tell anyone that they should Um, because that's profound just to spend time or get off a commuter bus that lets you off at Dachau, which I still remember seeing it come across the bus front and Mm -hmm. getting chills thinking Mm -hmm. that it's a bus stop. Mm -hmm. Um, and anyway, uh, that kind of, uh, reclaiming a narrative and transplanting new ones, is really, really important. I, I'm i getting a sense that there might be um, some seeds for where the work could go um, in yeah, that. Which is, I have uh, to figure
1: that out. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then, so before we move off of this, there was also the idea, it kind of comes into book design choices, but what I love and part of my work is pulling all these threads, pun intended, apart because I want to get into your conceptual development, which you've really given me great insights into. And then one of the the tasks of both the creator and photographer in their work is when they meet the book designer or work with making it a book, all of the other professionals that can also help your idea become manifest or stronger or amplified. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm big on looking at those. So like I loved and wanted to ask, cause you even brought up the word prickly, that that was a (laughs) title that I loved. that That was a title. So now I have a hint of that is a thought of yours yeah, too. Should I, for should I explain why I chose a prickly? Sure. A name yeah. Okay,
1: so that goes back to a piece of the traditional costume in the village. Mm. Um, also, along the way, not only the embroidered fabric surface, but also pieces. Of the traditional mm-hmm. costume mm-hmm. that has not been worn for over a hundred years. I think the last time it was really worn in society was around 1860, 1870, mm-hmm. right? But pieces survived and I have this old farmer's trunk in the house. And when I opened it, there they were. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to incorporate it to show a little bit more um, of the, of the culture. So there was this piece it looks beautiful it's made of metal wire and i wanted to take a picture of my daughter wearing this piece and she was probably maybe 12 when we shot this image and we were trying to figure out how was this worn so that was also like working with lost knowledge Mm -hmm. so sometimes people Mm -hmm. just don't know how it was worn anymore and there are no no real photographs we could go back to and, and as a reference. And we were ex- experimenting. So, does would it be worn in on the head, around the wrist? It, it didn't work. So we put it around the neck, and we were pretty sure that it, that's the right position. But it it's not documented, right? And it was very prickly around her neck mm-hmm. because it was made of metal wire, and the wire kind of was pinching her in in the neck. Yeah. So she she looks very very unhappy. Yeah. And I combined it with two women working in a potato field, mm-hmm. right? They are on their knees. Yes. So she's looking literally at into them. the at them mm-hmm. to the past in a very unhappy way. So I thought, oh, this is, this is interesting because it, it can be very tricky to look back to the past, mm-hmm. right? But it, it might might work. <laughs> Maybe everybody should do that. And then I also had the thought, oh, this is so interesting, because when I count myself in, I have I look at four generations. So mm-hmm. I have the two women from the past, mm-hmm. those represent two generations. I have my daughter, she represents the future, and I have myself as a photographer. Mm-hmm. And I even these days, I think information is being lost within three generations. Mm-hmm. So a lot of memory
0: is, is, is lost, mm-hmm. you know, just going back to this one picture. That's so good. I mean, you have so many layers of your conceptual understanding that are very, very rich. I think they're fabulous, how you, you are both seeing something and then empowered to make the mark of how you see on it. It's very profoundly uh, moving forward. And yes, there's one of the things that I think of that um, uh, embroidery, why my, why my, you know, handiwork is not up to date. We don't take the time, you know, and that, that these, these crafts that our art uh, took a lot of time. They were people's lives spent hours and perfecting and mastering so yeah.
1: but i also think there was like value in having a beautiful piece to wear mm-hmm. and these days you you wear it for a season and then it's gone right yes, yes. no so. the value yeah. of things
0: it's just different mm-hmm. these days mm-hmm. yeah. yeah especially like yeah. this vintage uh-huh. um sweater how it's made is so well made right because that's what happens and and that you would take the time to actually construct right. the details yeah. like yeah yeah that's why in um there's i could go off on fashion and all the ways in which it it reflects so many things And our time of fast fashion is 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 there's it's sad uh and partly why i think there's such a um uh a thrifting thrust going on Mm -hmm. and i really really appreciate Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. um i thought of a couple of other um things with the book design which i found really interesting i like that you put the different languages because this is in english and german that the titles were done in different directions right super smart yes so
1: um yeah the book was published with the german publisher Mm -hmm. and i worked with the designer claudia Eder Mm -hmm. and We really well. It was a real challenge to transform something that is so tactile into into a book. So our Mm -hmm. first decision was, okay, there has to be something that is tactile on the book cover. So that's why we have Mm -hmm. a little bit of um, Mm -hmm. yeah linen paper Mm -hmm. Um, outside. And then, as you said, there are the, the titles of the images in German and English, and then they are horizontally and vertically, mm-hmm. which is a little bit irritating at first. But it goes back to the thought that when you do embroidery with an embroidery loop, you, you constantly have to turn mm-hmm. the, the loop, mm-hmm. as you now have to turn the book in order to read the title. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. 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 Excellent yeah. metaphor. And <laughs> I, I really appreciate learning it. That's so interesting. You also utilized space differently. The text is minimal. Um, I mean, there's the essays, but then that you do incorporate some text, but you break it with a space. And I really liked that as well.
1: Yes, it's also an, an unusual choice. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's the, the paragraph doesn't end with a gap at the end of the sentence, so the gaps are in the text, yes, so um, it looks like as if a moth was in there, <laughs> <A little> <laughs> <bit>. <laughs> but it's also a reference um to memory loss, yeah, or it's something unusual, so you you read the text or you look at the text, and it's you take a breath, so something something is wrong, so what is wrong, maybe. I can't remember the word that I need right now in the moment mm-hmm. or I lost a stitch while I embroider, mm-hmm. but it also goes back to my photographic concept um, because sometimes I leave the punched pairs in the photo paper that I punch mm-hmm. open and I don't fully embroider it. Yes, I saw yes. it. Mm-hmm. So that's a reference to those open spaces that I leave mm-hmm. as an invitation for the viewer to make up their own pairs or mm-hmm. to make up their own story
0: mm-hmm.
1: or as an invitation to the future generation to follow the pairs.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's beautiful and really, really instructive. Um, I wanted to talk about um, a couple of things, uh, definitely about the... Spin clubs. If you want to say something about that um, before I move us into talking about a little bit more about the culture uh, yeah. and things, what would yeah? Uh, I have to explain the spin
1: clubs because it's an unusual uh, concept, yes. right? And um, yeah, I, I think I have to start going back to my grandmother again. Mm-hmm. So she was really a huge influence, and she was a keeper of keys to a farmhouse museum that was located across the street. Mm-hmm. And therefore, she was a keeper of local history.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And she was a keeper of stories that were shared among the women in spin clubs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And these spin clubs, probably the concept goes back to the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a small small group of women in the village that would form... um Probably when they were teenagers or young adults, mm-hmm. um, it's a group of five or six women, and they would stay together throughout their life in mm-hmm. the same constellation to spin, mm-hmm. to spin linen, flax, wool at one point, and slowly I would say it transitioned also to do other needlework, mm-hmm. to do embroidery and knitting and also slowly in the 20th centuries, the women more and more would have just coffee and cake. Mm-hmm. And the making of the cake or the preparing of the cake was kind of a competition.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> totally but can see At the that. same
1: time, they still would share their stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I always go back to that concept. And now I, I use that to, yeah, to visually yeah, create stories on my own and to continue in their tradition of storytelling.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. photography and embroidery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. It's so interesting. Well, one of the things uh, you're making me think again in two different directions. One is I just have to say, Um, What this made me think of, again, on a personal note, I grew up next door to a family uh, where the mother was from Iceland, and she was like my second mom and an amazing craftswoman. Her needlework and all of the people, because I was able to meet uh, most of her family and have had the opportunity to visit them in Iceland as well. The handcraft, the embroidery, especially, was mind-bogglingly beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mother and uh, Mrs. Guida, my neighbor, taught us how to sew. That's how I learned. Was between both of them, and actually. Mrs. Guido was a better sewer than my mother and we were learning on, um, my grandmother's machine and it just brought me all back because I went on to really like that craft Mm -hmm. and, um, hysterically it brought me back to when you talk about your mistakes. I was in Girl Scouts and we had to go to some, we had to go in a circle there often. Um, and we would go to different people that would teach us different things. And my mother and neighbor were teaching us on machines, but there was someone else that was teaching us hand work first. Like we had to graduate to the machines. We started with hand work and, um, we were sitting in a circle and I mean, I don't know when I last thought about this, but your book made me think of it. <laughs> and, um, We had tea towels that we were going to embroider, and of course, we were doing very basic, and nobody had done anything else before, so we were having fun with it, and we were getting hurried along at the end, and I knew that we had to finish, so I was really proud that I finished first, and I'm like, I finished, and and the woman that was teaching us was like, great, and I went to stand up, and I had embroidered into my uniform, so the tea towel was attached, like in my... (laughs) <laughs> Whether I was paying attention or was it the rush at the end? I don't know. I just remember being very proud that I finished, and then when I stood up, it was like, "Oh my gosh, yeah. I have sewn it, made my dress a new fashion!" So, oh my god, know. it was very fun. But I'm glad that you slow learner. Sl- slow mentioned learner.
1: The towel. So, what did you embroider onto the towel?
0: We just did things like, like mo- I think a lot of us did flowers, fruit, like mm-hmm. things that were objects that we knew and could see. But it's interesting because I loved, I loved the communal being together. It was so interesting. Like I, I love that we were in a circle all using handiwork. And then I got that when I was in, um, school and working with fabric all the time and that we were doing it in circles. I mean, it was very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. And I grew up, my mother with that friend and a few others, had a Canasta group that literally started, and I remember because your memories and Karen talking about her memories sparked mine. When I was a kid, I loved when Canasta came to our house because my mother baked. And so we had more treats in the house and they also had candy. And they went through a whole scenario. Mm -hmm. They started with a drink Mm -hmm. and just catching up in our Mm -hmm. living room. And then they moved to our dining room where they had the candy and the card game. And then they finished with dessert in the living room. And I just remember because on school nights, it was very chatty and very late and we didn't have a big house. I heard everything, but it was so much fun and there was some comfort to it. So I think that, and my mother's Canasta group went her entire life. And my mother, when she passed away at 80, the four remaining members because it moved some members over those years, mm-hmm. but it had been consistent mm-hmm. for sixty mm-hmm. years. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a very
1: powerful concept that women come or came together this yeah. this way. Yeah, and I I kind of feel that we are we're losing that. So it's we it's, are it's, it's it's gone. I mean, also the spin clubs in yeah, anyway. in the village they don't exist anymore. Or mm-hmm. I shouldn't say don't, but I mean, there are some elderly women who who still continue meeting and having coffee on cake. And I have the fondest memories, um, yeah, observing my grandmother and her friends having coffee and cake and, and talk in, in Plattdeutsch, which is a dialect in, in the village. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it was nice. And I, I always look, was looking forward to it because I always got some presents. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Same. I got (laughs) big treats. It was awesome. I always
1: got some treats and some money and it was beautiful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is. Well, it's so interesting because, in, in, because of your book and my wanting to understand and look at it at the intersectionality, the things that, that we've brought up that I want to underscore are how community being part of what was done and what are we doing now to form community, maybe book clubs, etc. cetera. Um, but the time, and there was a really interesting reflection. Uh, I have an article and I'll put in all of these hyperlinked to our, our um, podcast. Uh, I think this came out of the hyper allergic um, or, Or another, all of my resources are listed, and when I'm combining all of my information, sometimes one resource melds with another. So I'm not sure, but I think. And it's this idea that those time-intensive practices um, that we that we've lost them, and 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 what are we losing with that? That sense of community and our sense of time. Like when you talked about loss of knowledge our knowledge base and the amount of knowledge we have at our fingertips is so large. We're really messing with our sense of time and our sense of knowledge and our sense of pace. So I thought that was a really interesting piece. And then, of course, it led me to what's today's spin clubs, but that whole thing of stitch and bitch, Which actually came out of knitting. Are you aware of that? (laughs) Okay. So there is a woman started this in the nineties. Debbie Stoller, um, started that bringing people together in the East Village. She did a, um, to knit together and she started um she actually put it into a book um that became stitch and bitch uh it sold millions like of copies because it's gone on that's about knitting but now there's a comical end to it that there's actually more knitters There are more crocheters in the world than knitters. Um, When I looked this up, it was really interesting. For every knitter, supposedly, there are three crocheters. Mm -hmm. And so now they've started another idea of, and of course they're being quite um, uh, transgressive, saying stitch and bitch, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so then the crocheters are called uh, happy hookers. So, I thought, in that while that we're at this point yeah. in time, but one of the things I wanted to bring up before we we close is this idea of really uh in the arts, there is a movement like you were mentioning how the costume stopped getting worn at a certain point, and then you weren't yourself taught the embroidery at the rate that obviously your mother was, and this idea of in the social, political movement of things, women's work was denigrated uh, in craft. I actually have something. This is from the Hyperallergic article. This is written by Stephanie Graf, who's based in Vienna. And this was just this past fall, and I loved that I found this. She said, because women were not allowed to join the Art Workers Guild, which was integral to the arts and crafts movement, Mary Morris co-founded the Women's Guild of Arts in nineteen oh seven. So for a very long time have we not been on equal footing, obviously. So she started it with Mary Elizabeth Turner, and while her designs did not specifically feature feminist messages, Morris's pathbreaking role as a professional female embroidery embroiderer and her other achievements challenged the sexist institutional structures and pave the way for other women working in this medium. Mm -hmm. So I think that's so interesting because what I looked at as I researched on fiber arts and embroidery about the role of that in art, you start with this idea of a differential between art and craft, women not being equally administered in either, and then You see women as the feminist movement grew, letting go of, quote, women arts. And then you see a new wave of women using those very arts subversively. Like you used it in a very empowered way Mm -hmm. to, um, as you said, deconstruct. So I have learned um, about so many other Women artists using embroidery. Um, I found a book called The Subversive Stitch, which really fascinates me. Um, and then the more recent articles bringing in what Judy Chicago was doing, Lee Kogan, a woman uh, whose name is Hannah Hill, who goes by anecdote, meaning Hannah and anecdote together. Um, and they're really pushing the boundaries into a feminist identity using embroidery and it's like a reclamation of of what was powerful in a whole new way and influencing the future
1: yes yeah yeah i agree i mean there are so many powerful female artists around using um, embroidery at the moment and i'm fascinated about these beautiful pieces they create, like mm-hmm. uh, the, the work of Yorda Maurer, She is Boston-based, mm-hmm. and her work is amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very labor-intense. Mm-hmm. And even the little yes. embroidery I do on my photography, it takes up a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And But that's my, my favorite part to do the embroidery, <laughs> because then the, the hard work has been done, the designing has been done,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I just can... Re- relax and ease into it yeah and i can't do anything else i can't even listen to music Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so it's more like a a real meditation that that i'm doing at the end when i finish the piece yeah and i really enjoy that that part is my favorite part
0: yeah Yeah. well think of that because i think that's what i loved as well um in all uh, is the, um, we're not multitasking and you're bringing attention and it is meditative and Mm -hmm. there is a repetitiveness. It's so helpful. Well, I wanted to tie, um, up as we, as we end as looking at culture, because you began this frame for me when I read what you wrote, because it's about how culture is always moving. Uh, we are moving, identities are moving, uh, definitions uh, uh, materials are coming and going I mean it's just a really interesting time but this transmission of culture um and that can come with bringing along myth it can come along with expectation of roles and I do think power you made references to war and politics and and I'm making reference to the power of institutions mm-hmm. that women were excluded from mm-hmm. whether that's commerce in any form and and in the form of work and in places like art museums etc but so now i have to ask you about the pansy because the pansy (laughs) is a that's a transmission of a cultural idea yes so tell us about that i mean (laughs) (laughs) um i mean i liked uh, to reference the
1: pansy in in my work just because they were everywhere when when mm-hmm. i grew up mm-hmm. and i think as as a flower they were very hardy mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and every every single flower was so different from the next mm-hmm. yeah so there was a huge variety yeah and i really like i really like really that mm-hmm. so it's it, it it's just this little hardy thing and it's resilient but when you take a close look it's extremely beautiful yes (laughs) yes yes. and culture in, in in general so what is culture i mean it's it's so many little things it's it's a kaleidoscope Mm, right it's 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 really a kaleidoscope of of small everyday things Mm -hmm. you grow up with Mm -hmm. and i like to reference these small things this every every, everyday life i'm very interested in showing everyday life Mm -hmm. and how that influences us so i i remember this tale that my my grandmother taught me so why um is The pansy called Stiefmütterchen in in German. Mm -hmm. So Stiefmütterchen means little stepmother. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to the, to the tale that the larger piece Mm -hmm. of this five piece petals, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That belongs to the stepmother. And the stepmother wears the most beautiful dress of them all. And she's able to sit on two chairs. And the natural daughters also wear beautiful dresses, and each daughter sits on one chair. And the top two petals uh, represent uh, the dresses of the stepdaughters. The dresses are not as beautiful anymore, and they both have to sit together on one chair. So it's like these little things that you learn when when you grow up, and that defines your, your world, and and what do you remember from from that and and also what is what is your earliest memory i mean even the the time of the earliest memory differs from society to society
0: yeah yeah Yeah. well i loved that i thought that was so fascinating the story of that the myth i did it was so interesting and then that you Constructed it and gave it to us um so for me, it really spoke to this idea of um how culture transmits ideas right and 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 they continue to be morphed and um so it led me to a book that I thought was really interesting, and I'd love to to wrap with a quote from it because I think as much as your um your book is. Contained, it actually isn't at all that it just brings out this burst of so many other areas to, to consider. And I think that is possible because you have done the work of that. You couldn't have created this without being that accordion of taking this concept apart and looking at like so sensitively and with such specificity and with a lot of care and not, um, um, sentimentalized. The the hard and the painful are there too. So it's it's real. The mistakes. So I really appreciate that. Um, when I looked at this idea of culture and and how we're in this multi directional, constantly changing phenomenon, it's like how do you talk about it? So I'm going to quote this book: "Cultural Transfers in Dispute." And it says, we no, long, no longer do we understand cultures as isolated units. Rather, we see them as hybrid formations constantly engaged in a multi directional process of exchange and influence with other cultures. Yet, the process by which we represent these cultural transfers is itself subject to cultural, political, and ideological conditions that affect our understanding acknowledgement and representation of them isn't isn't that amazing i mean it's so full Mm -hmm. circle Mm -hmm. and you really really made me think about that and it talked about there's no vantage outside of the actuality of relationships among cultures so it's what i love about that is that um it, it ends with we are so to speak of the connections not outside and beyond them. So we're the thread. Wonderful. Right? Yeah. And we connect through the thread. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So you sent me on a wonderful (laughs) explore. (laughs) And I feel like this the the layers that you used come through and sing because of the care that you took to to put them together. And the time, which is so important. Yeah. Thank you. It was such a pleasure talking to you. You're welcome. You're <laughs> Thank you welcome. for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for joining our conversation. We so appreciate it when you follow, rate, and review. We love hearing your feedback. I would like to share a recent review that was entitled Amazing Resource." I have discovered many artists from this podcast and learned a lot about their process in their work. The conversations are direct, helpful, and entertaining. Thank you for that. We look forward to connecting with you on our next episode.